Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to the Your Wealth podcast. I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. After years of record low volatility and a bull market both in Australia and particularly the US, we're suddenly starting to see some really wild swings on markets. The catalyst for this is primarily COVID-19, the coronavirus that is causing Americans to not buy beer, a virus that originated in China but has now spread across the globe and is threatening to cause a global disruption such as we've not seen before, perhaps forever. This is... Obviously, first and foremost, a health issue and people's lives are what matter most. They are at risk absolutely with this. But the impact on markets is front of mind for many investors. So we'll talk about the market impact. We won't talk about the health impact so much. What's trickiest about this situation is that it has occurred financially anyway when markets are at record highs, or they were until a week or two ago, to get a grip on whether this is the beginning of a multi-year bear market, as some commentators have suggested, or a short-term blip, which could present a buying opportunity, and we're seeing that suggestion too. Uh, I have been joined by Dan Moore, Portfolio Manager at Investors Mutual, who's going to consider some of these possibilities. Dan has been running Investors Money at Investors Mutual. So Investors Mutual is the name of the company. I've said investors about three times in this sentence uh, for close to a decade, and he's worked as an analyst for many years prior to that. So he's seen both the depths of a market route and also seen this beautiful long run of great prices and now this return to volatility. Dan, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Gemma. It's a pleasure to be here on, uh, I guess, what's very interesting times. Um, so, no, really happy to share IML's views of uh, the current market. Yeah, thank you. So let's talk about the catalyst for this recent outbreak of volatility, the coronavirus The little joke about beer is 100% true. By the way, there is data from the US. There was a survey taken where 60% of survey respondents, and we don't know who they asked, it might have been in a pub, uh, said that they would not buy Corona beer under any circumstances in the current environment. So true story. What is this and why are people so concerned about it? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I mean, it's... This virus is is a new virus, obviously. It's uh, and, and because it's a brand new virus, there's no immunity built up within humans at all. So the risk of deaths much higher um, than than other viruses. And the other thing is, the world today is just so much more interconnected than it's ever been. Um, if you went back even to 2003, which is not really that long ago, you had SARS, which again originated in China. Uh, it did not really spread that greatly among, you know, into the world. Not that many, you know, a, a few thousand people got infected. Um, but this virus, uh, because of the connectivity of the world, China is so much more integrated, um, uh, particularly, you know, with supply chains, uh, with travel. Uh, we've seen this virus really spread quite rapidly and... Uh, it, it, no, it, it's potentially going to be a global pandemic, um, which is which is making people obviously very worried. The other thing that's making markets worried is the reaction from governments and corporates and consumers is just vastly different um, to what SARS was. Um, and there's just uncertainty about how long this is going to go for. Um, and that uncertainty... Uh, is, creates a lot of fear. 
It's uh, your point about connectivity is so true. So I think most people know this intuitively, but it's worth stating. So Australia has over one million visitors from China every year. That's a million people in a population of twenty six million. That's an enormous number mm. of people coming mm. into and out of the country, and then potentially going to other countries. So viruses can move really quickly. I was saying before we started recording that uh, my father is a virologist, but he uh, so I've always had sort of bizarre conversations about viruses. But he works with plants. And they just do not move around as much as people. They do move, but not as much as people. Uh, so one thing I will say with a background of having spent a lot of time with a virologist is none of us knows how this is going to play out, right? None of us market commentators are virologists. And in addition to that, we don't really have good historical examples to use as a guide. As you say, the world's more interconnected than ever before. And also people are responding in completely different ways to this. Uh, Supermarket shelves are empty. I should put a timestamp on this, by the way, because this podcast is very time sensitive. So it's Friday afternoon. It's the 6th of March. So we're going to be publishing on Wednesday. There'll be four days between when we record and when we publish. <laughs> Hopefully things uh, have settled down a bit and you can buy toilet paper. But um, but what markets do between now and Wednesday is going to be fascinating. So markets had the worst week since the GFC then came roaring back at the suggestion of a rate cut. Rate cut happened. They fell to pieces again. What are your thoughts about people's reactions? There's sort of two two levels. There's the consumer reaction and we're seeing uh, what, what I can only describe as herd mentality uh, uh, with people uh, scrambling um, to buy toilet paper. Um, I'm hearing stories of um, pharmaceuticals, you know, people buying, stocking up on three months' worth of uh, prescription medicines, which is you know, causing you know, big supply chain issues for pharmacies. Um, it, it, yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a panic in, in that sense. Um, and then, which, which I really think social media has had a, you know, if, if we talk about um, today versus even 2003, social media... Again, it is really influencing behaviour. Um, I remember that the, I'm pretty sure the toilet paper um, run, I guess you'd call it, uh, started. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> started really on Friday uh, a week ago, and, and I'm pretty sure the origin was a photo on Facebook of one store, one supermarket. I'm pretty sure it was Bondi had run out of toilet paper. And literally by the weekend, uh, it was a struggle to get toilet paper anywhere. Um, so the consumer is is really getting influenced by this herd mentality, which I think social media is a big part. In terms of markets, it's because we, we, there's a sense of vulnerability, I think. Um, so why the market reaction has been quite strong. Um, and, and that's because you know, markets have been high, um, you know, obviously, as you stated, you know, they've had a very good run for a long time. And th- there's a bit of a concern that rates are already very low. Um, and in many countries, budget deficits are already quite high. And I would even say uh, consumer debt levels or corporate debt levels are also quite high. Um, so there's a vulnerability uh, to, you know, the economy um, that governments or central banks um, will, will be relatively ineffective, potentially, um, if this continues to go on for much longer. So you've made a couple of points there, and I kind of want to unpick all of them. Um, 
But from an investing perspective, so markets I don't think have been much more rational than toilet paper buyers, <laughs> right? They've been about the same uh, in terms of the daily gyrations. And also if I speak for NabTrade, the volumes we are seeing are incredible. Uh, so even if prices are only moving within a relatively small range from open to close. The swings within that can be quite huge and we're certainly seeing a lot of our investors move money around both in and out of the market. From your perspective, how much is where we started matter? So markets were at record highs a couple of weeks ago. We were publishing videos about the market being over 7,000, about uh, post-GFC highs, finally getting back to pre-GFC levels, stretch valuations. Do you think that vulnerability prices at the levels they're at matters? I think that's the key question. um, And that's uh, how we think about it um, at Investors Mutual. Um, We've had a 11-year bull market. Uh, We've seen uh, valuations in territories never seen before. Um, And it, it was in some ways understandable because rates were so low um, you could therefore justify quite high valuations. The only problem with that is there's this implicit assumption that nothing goes wrong, um, that growth continues um, you know, in, into the future. Um, and, and people thought that way because uh, they couldn't see clouds on the horizon. But as we all know, um, markets always have cycles. Um, and I think it's, you know, while the market's fallen 12% from its highs, uh, as we're talking right now, um, even last year, the market was up 24%. Uh, even this year, up until the 20th of Feb, the market was up 6 um, So, you know, the, the fall, while significant at 12%, um, I mean, we're only down 6% for this calendar year and, you know, probably, you know, the market's probably at levels, you know, seen probably six months ago. So it's... It's. I, w- I wouldn't say um, even now after this twelve percent fall, um, companies are incredibly cheap, and it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, so, the starting point um, is critical uh, when assessing uh, is this a good opportunity. Um, and then the other starting point is, is sort of what I was talking about earlier: is um, how how if. If this crisis um, continues for longer, um, how how can we all respond to that? And um, there's definitely a vulnerability, which I think if you look back at previous um, cycles, even if you go back to 2007, uh, interest rates were you know, 6%. Um, I remember it well yeah. from my own mortgage. Yeah, so there was there, um, there was a fair bit of um, firepower from central banks that assist, um, and budget deficit. You know, Australia had a, a good surplus back then. Um, uh, if you look at the US right now, unemployment's at record lows. It's around three percent. Um, they're running a, a budget deficit of four percent of GDP. Um, these are numbers that should be seen. You know when there's at the depths of recession, um, so that that you know that there is some vulnerabilities there, which I which explain I think why the market has fallen uh, as much as it has. So let's 
I'm just working through the groups you said had some vulnerability. I feel like there's every group's got vulnerabilities, obviously, at every point in time. But at the moment, there's some that are worth calling out. You talked about the consumer being quite indebted uh, and a piece of data you might not have seen, but I saw it the other day, which blew my mind, which is one in four people, sorry, one in four workers in Australia has no sick leave. So they work on a contractual arrangement that doesn't have sick leave attached to it or any kind of payment when they're not in the office. So you and I both work for... Uh, large-ish employers, if we have to work from home, we can. And we get paid if we have to work from home. And if we can't come in due to circumstances outside our control, we'll probably get paid. One in four Australians doesn't have that. And when you consider how unbelievably indebted the average Australian is, assuming they can afford to buy a house, that strikes me as quite a challenging proposition if the general economy has to slow down and people can't work. Yeah, I completely agree. Um there's not a lot of uh, just general savings levels, um, you know, are, are low. If there's, as you say, if something goes wrong, um, there's not much. Uh, there's not much food in the pantry. Or there's, <laughs> there's not much. Uh, there's not much wriggle room. Um, but we've and, all got toilet paper. Yeah, we all. <laughs> most of us, anyway. Um, so th- yes, th- there's a vulnerability, and that vulnerability is being created because because of low interest rates. Um, it really has encouraged a lot of borrowing, um, and people to stretch themselves. Um, which, which I'm, you know, sort of uh, we've been our firm's been quite critical of um, the central banks in, in their policies and and uh, in in trying to you know, create two uh, percent inflation which seems to be some magical number that has to be achieved at all costs, um, they, are, they have created a big vulnerability, um, not just in Australia. You know, it's, a, it's a global issue. And, um, you, know, f- you know, fingers crossed this, this um, virus uh, doesn't last too long. Um, so you talked about corporates and about governments being really indebted as well. Uh, certainly the Australian government, as much as they might like to talk about balancing the budget, that's a one-year expenditure. That is not government debt. Um, and I always, always look at that from a uh, from marketing perspective and go, I wonder if the average person knows that debt has doubled, right? Um, even if you may manage to balance, in inverted commas, the budget in one year. It's a bit like saying I had a $300,000 mortgage. I've now got a $600,000 mortgage, but at least I didn't spend more than I earned this year. <laughs> um, but so what are your thoughts on that in terms of where government debt is, particularly in Australia, but it's obviously a big issue on global Mm. on a global scale. And then also where are corporates in this? Mm. This is probably where I'm a bit more positive, okay. um, particularly on Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Australia, um, our government debt uh, is relatively under control, particularly compared to the US uh, or European countries. So um, in, a, in a relative sense, um, the, the government, the debt at the government level is not too bad. Um, so we do have some potential uh, firepower to unleash um, for stimulus. Um, so that that is definitely um, something to be a bit more optimistic about. Um, but corporate, and I guess with corporates, um, if you look at the US, the corporate debt levels are higher than Australia. So again, the US is probably in a slightly worse place than us, but we do, um, we do, we do have some debt. It's not as high as it was in 2007. Um, many companies have learnt the lessons um, of, of that, and so at the corporate level, it, it, there's always you know there's some areas of the um, market that that are more worrisome than others. But at a general level, it's not too bad. Where 
where we're sort of a little bit more worried about is more on the financial sector um, where low rates have created some quite perverse incentives um, and lots of financial companies earn a margin uh, and an interest margin and uh, a lot of these financial companies uh, would invest excess cash in government bonds uh, which used to be very safe and they could earn a you know five or five percent return and and you know that was you know kept their business models profitable um, I'm talking about insurance companies um, banks etc um, these companies now that uh, have because rates are zero or close to zero have been forced uh, up the risk curve uh, and they've really uh, been pushed into areas they really shouldn't be because um, insurance companies have you know quite uh, long-term liabilities um, in many cases and they're meant to match those certain sort of long-term liabilities uh, with quite stable um, predictable assets and uh, low rates have meant some of these companies have had to stretch themselves and that's been fine for now when times are okay but you know if uh, if we do see any hiccups in the financial system um, taking that extra risk may show itself up um, this is a particularly a big issue for international insurance companies international banks um, which have excess cash uh, luckily for us our insurance companies um, and banks don't have that situation but it, it could have global ramifications. Um, that's sort of something else we worry about a little bit as well. On the financials, because one of my questions was going to be about financials and banks, um, they've been absolutely smashed. Um, yeah, a couple of days ago, Westpac was at seven-year lows. So it was quite extraordinary how hard they've been hit. And they've been hit over the last couple of years for a variety of reasons. But bad and doubtful debts have been at record lows, right? They've been unbelievably low. Interest rates have been sort of astonishingly low. Do you see that changing? Uh, yes, definitely. I mean, um, which we, 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 you know, a big part of our job is to talk to our companies, you know, every single day. Um, and uh, our discussions, uh, talking to the banks, is they're already thinking about collective provisions um, for the tourism sector, the travel sector, and the transport sector already. Um, there, there's been no pickup in arrears. Um, so there's no been no sign of bad debts yet, or late, not no sign even late payments as yet. Mm. But they're anticipating those, and um, uh, you know, we're quite likely to see uh, some increase in provisioning for bad debts. Um, you know, pretty soon, I suspect. Um, so that that's a headwind. Um, the banks don't need because their margins are getting crunched from the low interest rates as well. So it's. It's a tough environment for banks because you've got you know, probably credit growth is going to slow. Um, you've got net interest margins lowering because lower rates and you've also got probably bad debts rising. Um, so it's a tough time um, for banks. So given that our investors hold about 30% of their portfolio, maybe a bit higher than that, but it will move around with prices at the moment. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't <laughs> laugh. It's not funny. It will move around with prices at the moment. Um where are you thinking with banks? A lot of our investors will buy on weakness, right? So we have a lot of investors who've held banks for a really long time. They love the yield and they're very, uh, they're, they're frequently very confident that the yields will stay strong. 
even if prices come off, they sort of treat them like a really nice term deposit uh, and don't pay any attention to their capital volatility. What are your thoughts on that? Look, it's it's important not to panic. Um, I, d- I, don't, I don't want to be recommending people um, sell their investments after they've just fallen you know, tw- 20%. Um, but I, I think we should all have, you know, uh, a sense of that, you know, in the short term, um, things uh, could get worse and, um, you know, banks may need to cut their dividends. Uh, the, the payout ratios are quite high um, at around 80%. Um, so if there is a, a hiccup, if bad debts do go up, um, it's quite likely uh, dividends will get cut. Now, share prices are already starting to factor that in. Um, that's why they're down so much already. So um, there's already a sense of anticipation um, getting priced in. So it, it's not really a time to panic and, and, and uh, uh, dump all your bank shares. Um, but it, it's, I wouldn't be loading up either. Um, it, it, it's a time for caution um, and, uh, and you know, we'll just see how this plays out. That's a, that's a very measured response, I think, probably one that many of our investors uh, will want to pay attention to in this environment. It's very tempting uh, for people who've not seen a correction. And we have investors who've never seen a correction, right, or they certainly haven't seen one for a while. Um, December 2018, I guess, would have been the last one. Um, and then quite a while before that, and that's only 10%. So they see a 10 or 20% drop and think it's a buying opportunity, and many of them would not have sort of worn the pain of things falling quite a lot further than that. So um, that caution is quite interesting. So central banks are cutting, starting to cut, uh, certainly trying to lower rates. There's talk about QE or increasing liquidity in the system. Donald Trump's telling the Fed they need to get their act together. It's all happening. Do you think it's going to be effective in this environment? It's, it's monetary going to be, policy specifically. Yes, more monetary policy. It, clearly, it's got to be less effective than previous cycles because, as, we, as I said earlier, you know, in 2007, interest rates were just so much higher. So you had so much more further to fall. Um, today in Australia, I think we've got probably you know, 25 basis points to go, maybe 50. Um, so there's there's not a much more to cut. Um, so, no, I don't think monetary policy is going to be particularly effective um, this time round. And then also debt levels are quite high. Um, so it's... <laughs> It's not like there's a lot of undergeared people out there who um, who have been thinking about borrowing money and just went, oh no, this 25 basis point cut's really going to get me across the line. Um, and and so no, I, I don't think um, monetary policy is going to be particularly effective. Um, fiscal's got more chance, I think, this time. Um, and really, that depends on. And I think that's where Australia's a bit better place um, with our balance sheet. Um, and our budget deficit's not you know, horrendous. Um, it's not great, but it's not horrendous. So um, that's probably where you know, there's probably more reason for optimism. Question completely without notice. So tell me if this one's not going to be at all helpful. But pension funds in the US, I always think about them in this particular scenario. So Australia, we have superannuation. It's a 
contribution-based scheme. So you put the money in, it's based on your balance. Um, Some Australians will be familiar with the defined benefit. Lucky, lucky Australians who got one years ago. (laughs) Uh, Although I have heard of a 28-year-old with the defined benefit scheme. That sounds amazing to me. Uh, So that's where you get a guaranteed amount based on your salary. And there are also a few schemes. I think some of the politicians get this too, right? Um, But there are also schemes that, uh, that pay you a fixed amount on retirement. Most people, though, that's not how it works in Australia. It's very much about your contribution risk you take with your asset allocation and so on. You guys are all familiar with this. US, it's different, right? The company will uh, guarantee via their pension scheme to pay you a fixed amount. It is absolutely like the defined benefit contributions of, of yesteryear in Australia. And that creates massive risks for companies and particularly also local governments and so on in the US who then have to manage money in order to provide these outcomes. It was certainly a huge issue after the GFC. Are you seeing anything about that at the moment or is it not big enough yet? Oh, it's too soon. Um, it's it's too soon. But um, th- this is sort of one of the perverse um, you know, ramifications of very low interest rates is um, those pension funds used to be able to invest in government bonds at 5% and therefore take very little risk to fund those, you know, quite large pension liabilities. Um, and the the problem is with rates going towards zero, those funds can't invest in government bonds um, because they won't be able to fund those future liabilities anymore. Um, and we're not sure. I mean, no one really knows um, what they have been investing in. Um, so that's, yeah, that that's, it's things like that. You know, that kind of, you know, under a bad case scenario, keep you up at night. Um, yeah, and and generally, particularly the governments in the US, a lot of those um, pensions are unfunded. So the debt situation in the US, it's not just uh, the government debt that's stated. There's a lot of off balance sheet debt as well. So the, the the US US is highly highly indebted. The great news about Australia, all our government pension liabilities, the defined benefit schemes, are all asset funded you know that, that's what that's the future fund mm. um so they're, they're those liabilities are asset backed um so australia is uh in a much better place there that's quite encouraging i think for a lot of people not understanding so the, some of you may remember that the city of detroit declared bankruptcy a whole city because they had this issue that they needed to pay their retired firemen and police and teachers and all of these things and they just simply didn't have the uh, have the money to do it um so one question, which is on so many people's minds, and sometimes you need an acronym to make it to make it make sense. Uh, so a lot of invest money is invested on what we're now calling the Tina principle. Yes. There is no alternative. Yes. The first time I heard that, I was like, "Yep, that's exactly what it is." Yes. <laughs> we're calling it Tina now, but we all knew intuitively that's what was going on. Um, and you you do have this problem as an investor. I have money. Some people have the issue of having to meet their own liabilities, so they're self-funded retirees and so on. Cash is at record lows, as you mentioned. Greek bonds are now paying less than Australian bonds, so yields are all over the show. Properties bounce rise back as well. So when you talked about people, uh, you know, the tiny proportion who might go, oh, now that interest rates are this low, I'll rush out and buy something. They're probably already in the market because they bought a property in the last six months. <laughs> That's come roaring back. Where do I go, especially if I need yield? Do you think that problem, it's not a mentality, that problem is going to keep supporting equities? It will eventually because um, it, is, it is a real problem. Um, when, But at the moment, um, when the mentality changes, and, and it has changed in the past 
couple of weeks. It's changed from uh, the skies are blue, uh, everything's fine, uh, my alternative is zero interest rate, you know, zero interest rate, uh, therefore uh, I will buy um, shares to, oh my gosh, markets are falling, I'm potentially going to lose money. And once that fear subsides and people stop worrying about losing money, um, people will return to the same problem they've got, which is the alternative is zero. Um, and that's really important to um, to not you know, to not panic right now, to, to keep your head when, when others yeah, are losing it, uh, is, is to know that once the panic does subside and the calm does return to markets, what are people going to do? And what people are going to do is they're going to buy good quality companies that have strong balance sheets that pay good dividends. And, and that, that will... And that's what people should be focusing on. Um, this, this situation, you know, you know, should provide a good opportunity um, because the, the TINA principle, the zero interest rates, is is a real problem um, for many people, and and so that will be supportive at some stage um, once that mentality shift um, from fear of losing money to um, more optimism about the future. And I have no doubt. Uh, you know, in 12 months' time, uh, once this all passes, hopefully, um, you know, we'll, people will look back and go, oh, that was a great opportunity. Um, but you, you've got to be very selective. Um, in a market like this, uh, we actually, at Investors Mutual, we wrote a book, um, 20 Lessons Over 20 Years, and um, Chapter 8 was on uh, how, you know, how to prepare and deal with um, market corrections. And we say, when there's a correction, every all stocks fall. Everything falls initially, but when the fear and you know when the calm you know, when the fear subsides and when people calm down, the good quality businesses they they recover. It's the technology rubbish, the the companies with no earnings, the companies uh, that were selling a dream, a pipe dream, um, they're the ones that don't recover. Um, but the good quality companies, you know, they'll live the fight another day. And, uh, you know, you, people will look back and uh, see it as a good opportunity. So many good points in there, and I'm just trying to pick my way through them to uh, to ask the right question. Uh, one thing I did want to talk to you about, because you raised it at the beginning, and I'm circling back, so sorry about that, but you talked about valuations and where they are now and how they were, certainly until recently, historically out of whack, largely because of the Tina principle, right? If I can't invest in anything else, I will pay more for good quality earnings. I will pay more for a decent dividend yield because it beats the hell out of a term deposit. So I'm happy to pay more. Can you tell me about where valuations, we'll use PEs as an example and maybe explain that for people too, where PEs were, where they are now, do you think that they're back at a level that's interesting? Mm, so, uh, so a PE is the price to earnings ratio. So it's the price uh, you're willing to pay for uh, one year's earnings. So the higher the PE multiple, uh, the higher, uh, the more expensive um, the company. Um, so PE multiples traditionally, uh, if you sort of back out resources and banks, which which are a bit special for a normal industrial company, have historically traded around 15, 16 times. 
that multiple on February 20 was about 23. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Now, that's an average, obviously, or a median. Um, so that that's at a level not seen before. Well, it's 50% higher than the yeah, average, right? it's considerable. Now, you could justify part of that because of low rates, but obviously it was very extended. So today, with share prices down probably 12%, you know, that ratio is you know, 10% lower, assuming no earnings impact. Now, there probably will be. So that's why we're not jumping in uh, and investors mutual and buying every company we can. Um, but these are all averages. So there are some companies, um, some really good companies today, um, you can buy on multiples of 15 times, 16 times, um, uh, you know, because they've fallen 20% in this market. Those companies, um, you know, are quite reasonable. So if I look at a market level, um, you know, the valuation scenario doesn't look mouth-watering. Yeah. Um, but with, beneath it, looking at it stock by stock, um, there's, start, there's some value starting to emerge. Um, and, and that's sort of our job is, is to sift through all the market and, and really um, pick their eyes out of it and, and, and try and find the best value we can um, within a, you know, a, a group of quality companies. It's a million-dollar question then. Where are you looking in this market and will you wait for other things? So where, where we're looking is we're really looking to buy outstanding businesses. Um, we're looking to buy companies that are industry leaders um, for some strategic reason, um, something that is long-lasting, something that will mean they will be an industry, that continue to be an industry leader for 10 years. Um, a company you know, you, you'd be really happy to own for 10 years, put it in the bottom drawer, um, and the company would also have to have a very strong balance sheet to just in case, you know, this does this uh, virus does persist for quite some time. A strong balance sheet can be very important, um, and also good management um, is critical, always critical, very critical at times of crises. Um, that's what we're looking for, and we're looking for these sorts of companies um, with a price that is reasonable, and a lot of these great companies. Um, you need a bit of a crisis for the price to be reasonable. Um, so, you know, we, we, you know, what are they? What's the saying? Um, you should never um, waste a good crisis. Um, so, no, we we have a list. We've got a wish list of companies we'd love to own, um, and uh, we we've got our we've done our research. Um, we've got the prices we want to buy those companies. And um, we're just waiting and hoping, and hoping. <laughs> I guess it sounds sounds a, a bit sadistic, but uh, we're, we're hoping they get, get to the levels we want um, to buy them. And the companies, funnily enough, it sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but um, probably the companies that we're likely to buy potentially are the ones that are slightly impacted by this, yeah. um, because they're the ones where the share prices fall the most. But you need. You need a strong balance sheet and you need to be the industry leader because if you have a strong balance sheet and you're the industry leader, if there's issues within the industry, your competitors are going to 
fall by the way, wayside first, uh, which is a good opportunity for market share. Or they may not uh, fail, but they might be capital constrained and can't invest appropriately. Um, they might cut all their marketing budgets, and that gives you, again, a good opportunity to gain market share or in- improve your competitive position. Um, that's you know that's what we're looking for. Um, I love to tell you the names, but I'm not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> Bugger. All right, you can tell me later. Um, so one of the questions I was going to ask you, we're talking about earnings. So we talk about a PE ratio. So one thing is the price, and we're hoping the price falls, right? Uh, the issue also is that earnings are falling potentially. Now, we've just been through reporting season, and it will have been for books that were well and truly closed by the time coronavirus hit everybody's attention. Uh, and also bushfires had not really impacted So are you concerned that we're going to see this big impact on earnings coming through next time everybody's reporting or if they're sort of updating their continuous disclosure uh, and letting everybody know about the earnings impact, it's likely that prices will fall again because everyone's re-rating the PE or recalculating. Yeah, the market – yes, you're right. Um, The the earnings – to be honest, the earnings – it's interesting. The share market's actually risen considerably, but the earnings growth has been – pretty small, pretty insignificant. It's been pretty flat, actually. Um, but share prices are falling. They're already anticipating um, poor earning results coming. So the share market's always forward-looking. Um, the, what we don't know is how long this goes for, and that's really important because if this virus mutates um, to become a much more mild strain and then just disappears, which you know, can happen... Um, yeah, you know, this will be all uh, you know a blip. It will be all a bit of a <laughs> well, blip. We'll be looking at our sheds going. I've got forty-eight boxes of toilet paper <laughs> that I don't need. That's right. Um, and and the the impact of this will be very temporary. Um, if it continues for quite a long time, the impact is not. There could be secondary impacts, or actually quite likely to be secondary impacts. Um, it won't be just the travel sector uh, or the tourism sector. Um, you'll see, as, as we talked about, rises of bad debts for banks and you know, companies cutting marketing budgets and people losing jobs and all those sorts of factors. And that can, that can lead to a more prolonged down cycle in earnings. Um, that we don't know the answer to. Um, so it's something, and, and this is why we're not rushing in and, and, and just buying you know, companies uh, because you, know, you have to be a little bit cautious um, of that risk, uh, of that secondary sort of impact. Um, and, uh, yeah, valuation multiples, um, yeah, what, what a company's trading on can change <laughs> quite quickly if the earnings change. Are you guys sitting on quite a bit of cash? Yeah, we, we, we have limits on what we're allowed to hold. So um, we have different funds. Some, uh, some funds have a 10% cash limit. Um, you know, we're, we're towards... You know, around seven percent cash, um, and then we have other funds which can hold up to twenty percent cash, um, where the the cash limits are, are higher again. Um, so yes, we, we've been cautious. Um, we've been talking a cautious tone for probably too long, uh, probably the past couple of years, to be honest. Um, about about valuations being elevated, about markets pricing in blue sky. Um, Without factoring in much risk, and um, and talking just about a cycle, 
um, you know, markets always go through cycles. Um, you know, they not typically happen every four to seven years. Um, this one's been quite a long one. Uh, and you can't escape that. And and again, and when market, you know, if when people are panicking, if the market falls another ten percent, we'll be saying the same thing for the other reason. Say, you know, this is a cycle; it will change. It won't. You know, stock market won't fall to zero, um, and the blue sky will be there again one day. Um, so, yeah, it's we have been cautious, and and we do have that cash, so we are uh, ready. Um, and uh, and really looking forward to deploying it into some great businesses at hopefully great prices. That's a really cool way of looking at it. I think it'll make everyone uh, feel a little bit better. That um, I know our investors actually are sitting on a lot of cash and they have been for a while. The cash is sitting there and it is waiting to be deployed. It's not getting moved off and spent. It's just sitting there in trading accounts waiting for people to uh, to find that beautiful thing they've been after just on a discount. Uh, Dan from Investors Mutual, you produce a heap of content. So you guys put out your thoughts into the market regularly. Um, great ideas for investors, wise counsel in troubled times, all that kind of stuff. How do people find out about you guys and what you're thinking? Yes, we, uh, we've got a, a website, um, www.investorsmutual.com.au. And uh, yeah, we publish all our insights. Uh, and we also do uh, webinars. Um, for anybody, anybody who wants to um, listen to what we have to say. And um, you know, we, we do, you know, we re- update that quite regularly. Um, and we've just, you know, we wrote a book um, recently, uh, 20 Lessons Over 20 Years, that celebrate our 20 year history. And uh, there will be an ebook very soon um, on the website, which is free um, for investors if they uh, would like to read about um, the lessons we've learned over time. Um, so we've got that as well. If uh, if you give that to me, I'll put it on the link. Put a link on the site. I will. Dan Moore from Investors Mutual, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Gemma. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we absolutely love you tuning in and we'd love to hear from you as well. So if you have any topics that you'd like to hear about or guests you'd like to hear from, please just email your suggestions to yourwealth at nab.com.au. Uh, I have to update this now. Please don't send a service request not to that email address. We have a service request email address for every part of the bank. Uh, We are not great at checking this as frequently as you would like us to. It's kind of a topic idea thing. So if you've got uh, an account issue that needs dealing with, please email one of the addresses or use one of the phone numbers and they will be much better at helping you than I am. Uh, I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.